getting here, all that traffic moving to Sunday school. We're going to have a little show and tell this morning, and I got one of my treasures with me, and uh, it's a it's a bag. It's not a grocery bag, and it's it's not a man purse. Uh, it's actually my chart bag. I carry my chart back and forth from one of my offices to the other office in this bag, and it's precious for two reasons. Number one. It was made for me by the loving hands of my wife. Everybody say, aw, aw. And uh, number two, it is uh, the bits and pieces of one of my old pairs of jeans. So she made it out of the, the bits and pieces of Blue Notes Rugged Denims. That's the, the name right there, the back pocket. Right. And... Uh, it was one of my favorite jeans, and so now it's uh, it's memorialized in in this uh, chart bag. You could say then that uh, this bag is a remnant of my blue jeans, because it's made from little pieces of the blue jeans. And remnant is going to be a very important word as we discuss our talk today. We're going to look at another prophet in our series, 12 prophets from the Old Testament. And the prophet today that we're going to look at is Zephaniah. Zephaniah. And you say, well, of course, Zephaniah. But who really knows about Zephaniah? Well, to be honest with you, if uh, a month and a half ago, you had asked me to give a sermon on Zephaniah, I would have stumbled badly because I knew almost nothing about the prophet Zephaniah. Now, I've been studying God's word for years, and I've been preaching for years, and I've never spoken from the book of Zephaniah. So don't feel bad if you don't know him. We're going to get to know him a little bit this morning because I had to do some digging. And there was one thing that I did remember about the book of Zephaniah, and that's one verse, and it's found in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, and it goes like this. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Now, the reason why I remembered that, that verse is because there's a song that we used to sing back in the day a generation ago, uh, that uh, really incorporated all the words of this of this song. How many remember it? Anybody? The word, the Lord thy God? All right. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty, is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy, with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty, is mighty, is mighty. Some of you may remember it. <laughs> Thank you. I know. Don't give up your, your day job, Jim. <laughs> but beyond that, you know, I remembered nothing. So I'm going to share with you what I have learned in the past weeks, and they've caused me great joy. Now, the first thing about Zephaniah is the meaning of his name. 
And uh, several of the names of the prophets that we've been discussing in this series, their name really makes sense in light of what they prophesied. And once again, Zephaniah and the meaning of his name does not disappoint. What it means is this. God conceals. God hides things, as in hiding or protecting a treasure. God conceals. And we're going to find that idea in the text, as we will see in a few minutes. Second thing that we learn about Zephaniah is in chapter 1 and verse 1 of Zephaniah, and perhaps it might be a good idea for you to open your Bible. It's the fourth last book in the Old Testament. So if you you go to where the Old Testament ends and you work back to the fourth book, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And chapter 1 and verse 1 is kind of an interesting verse because it says this, something about Zephaniah. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, some son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. It's the only prophet where he goes back four generations, and lo and behold, the great-great-grandfather of, of Zephaniah was the great king, the great king Hezekiah. And that makes uh, a lot of, of sense, because if you had, if you were in the kingly line, it would be a good thing for you to uh, make note of that. And Zephaniah doesn't do it because he's proud of his heritage or proud of his family. He does it because, you see, he's going to talk at the end of Zephaniah about the presence of the great king. Not the great king Hezekiah, who was in the past, but the great king, the king of Israel, who's coming to save in the future. He prophesied in Jerusalem... In the reign of King Josiah, and that was from about 640 AD to 640 BC to 609 BC. In other words, a long time ago. Josiah was a, a very good king. And what he tried to do throughout all of his reign was bring the people back to the, the uh, faith in the word of God and believing in Jehovah and being a righteous people. But it was an uphill battle as far as Josiah was concerned because he had been preceded by some terrible and evil kings and uh, uh, the, the people were on a downhill course to immorality and idolatry. And it was a case of too little, too late. The people were getting worse and worse. Now the main theme of Zephaniah is this. And it's really the main theme of all of the prophets of God who preceded him. God is a righteous God, and he's going to judge the nation for their sins. God is a righteous God. He's going to judge the nation for their sins. And Zephaniah calls this day, the day, the final day, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Now, as we learned when we talked about the prophet Joel a few weeks ago, no doubt you remember everything I said about Joel. The day of the Lord is really looking forward to the final climax of history when the Lord comes and judges the nations. But every single judgment that God brings upon the people, upon this world, is really in anticipation of the day of the Lord, and it's kind of like a partial fulfillment of the prophecy. This day of the Lord is mentioned no less than 23 times in this short book with just three chapters. In other words, Zephaniah is saying, this is the day, this is the day, 
this is the day. Judah, Jerusalem, you are heading for judgment. The day of the Lord is coming. And not only would the day of the Lord be coming on Jerusalem Jerusalem and, and Judah and Israel, but the day of the Lord would be coming on all the surrounding nations as well. In the, in the second chapter of Zephaniah, he mentioned several nations upon, upon whom the judgment of God will fall. And then he talks about the judgment falling on Assyria. Now, Assyria, Assyria just happened to be the most powerful nation in the world at that time. Unrivaled. It was the Persian, uh, it was the Assyrian Empire, and it was, it was, uh, ca- uh, the, sit- the capital city of Assyria was Nineveh. Nineveh. And Nineveh just happened to be the greatest city of the world, the most populated city, the, the richest city, the, the most powerful army of the world. So when Zephaniah said, and you know those surrounding nations are going to get judged, but Assyria will get judged too. He was talking big time things happening. The most popular place to be was Nineveh. The most powerful place, the most pleasurable place to be was Nineveh. It was the place to go. But it was going to be destroyed. And Zephaniah said, because of their sins, the Lord was going to take down Nineveh. It was destroyed in 612 B.C. by the Babylonians. So we get a lot of judgment in Zephaniah. We get a lot of the day of the Lord coming. And uh, sometimes it's not very heartening to, to read through those verses. But fortunately, there's a second theme. Because God, you see, is not just a God of judgment. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of kindness. He's a God of salvation. And he makes known his righteousness first. And he talks about his 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 perfect holiness, which necessitates that he judges evil. But then he reveals his perfect kindness and his perfect love to us. So the second theme in Zephaniah is called the remnant. The remnant. Just like the bits and pieces of my jeans making my chart bag. That's a remnant. And uh, the... The, the book of Zephaniah is making clear that in all of the destruction and in all of the judgment that God is bringing upon the world, he's going to save a few faithful people, and they will constitute the remnant. He talks about this remnant in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. We're just going to read it. Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And he says concerning the people who are listening to Zephaniah, he says, now this is what you must do. Gather together. Gather together, O shameful nation. Before the appointed time comes, the day comes. And that day sweeps on like chaff. Before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon you. Before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Gather together. And then seek the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. You who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps you will be sheltered, concealed in the day of the Lord's anger. See, did you make the connection? Zephaniah, see, something concealed, something hidden, something precious that is kept from destruction. God conceals this 
group of people who, who humbly repent before God. And I want, I want to make it clear here, you see. Uh, this is good for everybody. Some people say, well, Jim, that word repent, what does it really mean? It just means change. It means change. It means stop thinking the way you're thinking about God and start thinking with God. Start thinking from God's perspective. Change the way you think. And then when you come to the Lord, he will help you change your behavior. So what I'm trying to do this morning as I present God's word is help you repent. To change the way you think so that you start thinking God's way. And when you start thinking God's way and you call on him, just like these people did in humility and in faith, they called on the Lord, God will change your life, change your behavior. Well, there was a, a fulfillment of what Zephaniah said concerning the day of the Lord, the coming of the day of the Lord and the judgment that was to fall. Because in 606 B.C., just a few years after Zephaniah was proclaiming these prophecies, and along with other prophets like Jeremiah. Uh, a Jewish history book tells me that, that uh, Jeremiah was the student of Zephaniah. And Jeremiah was one of the great prophets, and he, he had a message much like Zephaniah. But li- little known is it that Zephaniah was actually instructing Jeremiah. So he's quite an important person in his day. And he, like Jeremiah said, the nation's going to fall. And the Babylonians are going to come. And they're going to decimate Judah. And they're going to enter Jerusalem. And they're going to take captive all of the people of Israel, all the people of Judah. They're going to take them to Babylon where they will be slaves in Babylon for 70 years. But then God gave a wonderful deliverance because God softened the heart of the king and, and a number of Israelites, a number of Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city once again. And so the Jewish remnant returned to Jerusalem from Babylon in 536 BC, exactly 70 years after they'd been taken into captivity, just as Jeremiah had prophesied. There must have been several millions of Jews that were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, either killed or taken into captivity. Those that returned represented a very small proportion of the several millions, maybe 35 or 40,000 people. That was it, just a small group. But that's what a remnant is. Small little piece, small little bit is salvaged, is saved, is protected and allowed to go on. The remnant. So that part of the prophecy of Zephaniah was really fulfilled with the destruction of Jerusalem and the captivity in Babylon and a small group of Jews coming back to Jerusalem 70 years later. But when we look farther at the text, we, we see that some of the prophecies that were made concerning this remnant have not been fulfilled yet. And uh, let's look at chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, uh, verse 6, The land by the sea where the Kenethites dwell 
will be a place for shepherds and sheep pens. It will belong to the remnant of the house of Judah. There they will find pasture. In the evening they will lie down in the houses of Ashkelon. The Lord their God will care for them and restore their fortunes. You know, this is a prophecy that as far as I can see in history has not been fulfilled. Right now, that land does not belong to Israel. Nor did it belong to Israel since Zephaniah made that prophecy right up until now. And so we have to write over this prophecy, uh, not yet. Then there's another one in chapter 2, verse 9, and it says this. In chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, surely Moab will become like Sodom, the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place of, of weeds and salt pits and a wasteland forever. The remnant of my people, once again, the same group, will plunder them. The survivors of my nation will inherit their land. All of the history books from Zephaniah on to the present do not indicate that this prophecy has been fulfilled. So we have to write over this prophecy, not yet. Then in chapter 3, verse 8 of Zephaniah, as we go through the book, we come to an amazing prophecy concerning the day of the Lord once again. And, and this isn't just a localized battle now. It's the great battle at the end of time, because it says in chapter 3, verse 8, Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify. I've decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them. All my fierce anger, the whole world, will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. War is going to engulf the whole world. This isn't just a local battle in the Middle East. The nations are going to be gathered. And God is going to war. And we have to write over this prophecy, not yet, not yet. It's written, but not yet. And there are several other amazing promises regarding this remnant, regarding this small group of people who were shielded and protected by God. It says in chapter 3, verse 11, they are regathered to their land after all the nations have been judged around them. It says that in chapter 3, in verse 12, that they will be a, a humble and obedient people. Not yet. You know, I, I had occasion to, to read fairly widely in, in, in trying to prepare for this sermon. And I read some of the writers of the Jews in, in Israel at the time. I read some of their commentators. And if ever there was wickedness coming out of the mouths of people, there is wickedness coming out of the mouths of unbelievers amongst that people. Wicked, wicked, godless comments. Making folly, making folly of their history. Making folly of the promises of the Messiah. I tell you this. They're going to answer for it. But then, for the remnant, there's going to be a blessing. They're going to be cared for by the king of Israel. Chapter 3, verse 15. It says, no enemy will ever defeat them again. 
chapter 3, verse 15. And listen to this one in chapter 3 and verse 20. They will receive renown and praise by all the people of the earth. Do you know that the most vilified nation in the world, well, perhaps North Korea is right now, but I would say that Israel comes a close second. They've made a lot of enemies along the way. No renown, no, no praise among the nations. They are vilified. That's the prophecy. So we have to write over all of that. Not yet. Not yet. Now, I want to share with you the Revelation connection between Zephaniah and John's writings in the book of Revelation. And uh, there's, there's, there's two things I want to say about that. Number one, the book of Revelation is the, just a summary book of all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. God just says, prophesy again, John, and bring it all together in one grand summary. And so there isn't much new in the book of Revelation. Not much new. If you try to read the book of Revelation without reading the rest of the Bible, it's gobbledygook. You know what that is. <laughs> kind of incomprehensible. But if you read the book of Revelation, having looked at all the different things that have come before it, the book of Revelation is a nice, tidy box of prophecy with a great big bow around it, and it says Jesus is coming soon. So all the other prophets, they have something to say concerning what John finally says in the book of Revelation. But before I venture farther into the book of Revelation, I want to give you this caveat. What I have to say about the book of Revelation is not believed by all of the evangelical church. There are many, many godly people, many godly teachers who believe that the book of Revelation is not a book of future history, that it was history that has already happened, and therefore we don't look to Revelation for the future. That's their belief, and they love Jesus. So we have to understand that. We also have to understand that many people believe that because the Jews rejected the Lord Jesus and said no to their Messiah and crucified the Lord, that all of the blessings of the Old Testament are taken from the Jews and by default put upon the church. So there are many people who believe that, that uh, the church becomes the people who receive these, these blessings. And they're believers who love the Lord. So I have to say this, you see. Uh, you have to read these things. And I'm sure in, you're, I'm looking at a very intelligent group of people. You make your own decision. All right? Because God wants us to look deeply into his word. And he wants to discern the truth. I'm just out there saying, I'm just here saying that there's other voices which say other things. Having said that. I'm going to tell you what I believe. And so let's look at the remnant in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. 
Now, we've had some big winds in the last few days, and we know the destructive potential of wind and rain, and, and it, sure enough, the, the wind is really a symbol of judgment. Verse 2, Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. He said, Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Now, if this is future history, this represents a very small remnant of Israel. It is estimated that there are 15 million Jews in the world today. 15 million Israelites. 144,000 survive. Maybe more, but these are the ones we know are going to survive because God's going to protect them physically in a coming day. Now, how do we know that the tribes of Israel are being enumerated? Well, because he goes through each tribe. And you were getting kind of bored when I went through the tribes, right? But he repeats that just so that we can know for sure. These people aren't coming from Ireland. They're not coming from Australia. They're not coming uh, from Kazakhstan. They're coming from Israel. And it says they're sealed by an angel for divine protection before the judgment falls. They are being concealed. God conceals They're being concealed by God. And what is their purpose? It says they're serving God. And right after, he he talks about how 144,000 are sealed. Then he talks about a great multitude coming to God, standing before God, evidently saved in a time of trouble that is coming upon the world. Millions upon millions from every tribe and tongue and nation. The whole world is going to be blessed. And the implication is this, and I say it's an implication. This 144,000 aren't going to be sitting in their little nest somewhere waiting for the judgment to pass. They're going to be out serving God. They're going to be out being evangelists. They're going to be out doing what the Jews were supposed to do in the first place, and that is be a light to the Gentiles. And as a result of their efforts by the power of the Spirit, millions and millions and millions of people from all over the world are going to get saved. Don't ever think that the majority of the population is going to end up apart from God. God's going to have more people in heaven than in hell. The devil's not going to win. God's going to save hundreds of millions of people in this world from every nation and tongue and tribe. And I believe that's coming. And as many as, as the church has managed to evangelize and bring to Christ, 
they're going to be outdone by the efforts of this group of, of, of the remnant who are going to spread the gospel to every corner of the world. And the gospel shall be preached to all nations, and then the end shall come. The remnant appears again in Revelation chapter 14. Same group of people, I believe, although some say, well, it's different. But once again, you have to put on your thinking caps. Revelation chapter 14, 1 to 5. We're going to read it. Turn over to Revelation 14. It says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. You see, they were sealed. Name of God on the foreheads, belonging to God. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who have not defiled themselves with women. I believe that's ceremonially Defiling, that is, that if somebody was going to go into the temple to worship, they were not to have sexual relations because of the possibility of being contaminated by blood. That's my understanding of that. In other words, they prepared themselves to worship. Uh, for they kept themselves pure. They followed the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So here's the 144,000. And it seems like all of the conflict has passed. All the work is done. And now, like the hockey team who goes to meet the prime minister in Ottawa after they've, they've won the Stanley Cup, this 144,000 goes and is in the presence of God and they receive a, a special blessing and benediction from the Lord because of a job well done. Now what I want to do is have you keep your hand in Revelation chapter 14 and go back to Zephaniah chapter 3 and we're going to compare what it says about the, the remnant in Zephaniah and the remnant in Zechariah. Now, if you find that difficult to keep your hand in both places, then all you have to do is follow the handy chart that I've made, or at least Kathy made for you, up on the screen. Here is the comparison of the remnant in Zephaniah 3 with the remnant in, in Revelation chapter 14. 3.15 of Zephaniah, they're with the Lord. The king of Israel is with them. Revelation chapter, four, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, they're with the Lamb, and the Lamb is the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 3, they're with the Lord on the holy mountain. Verse 11. Revelation 14, they're with the Lamb on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is... Jerusalem. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14. They're singing and they're rejoicing. Revelation chapter 14. They sang a new song. 
Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 13. It says they feed or they eat and they lie down. Now that is a description of sheep in the pasture. In other words, they're regarded as, as being cared for by the good shepherd and the, the shepherd gives them peace and, and, the, and so they're able to eat and lie down in peace in the pasture. It says in Revelation 14 verse 5, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. That's verse 4. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 13, it says they do no wrong. Revelation chapter 14, verse 5, they are blameless. Zephaniah chapter 3, no lie is in their mouth. Revelation chapter 14, no lie is in their mouth. Now, I believe God does not intend to confuse us. He intends to illuminate us by his word. And so if words have any meaning, this is the same group of people. Same group of people that Zephaniah is talking about, Zephaniah 3. And we find them with the Lord in the book of Revelation, celebrating a great harvest of souls. That's the remnant. The remnant of Israel. So what do we learn from the remnant? You say, well, you're talking about somebody else, Jim. Yep, I'm talking about somebody else. Because the first thing we learn about the remnant is that we, the church, we can't be the remnant if what I'm saying is the truth. Because both in Zephaniah and in Revelation, it is clearly indicated that they are Jews from all the tribes of Israel whom God has concealed and protected and will use for his purposes in the future. Another thing we learn is this. We're given far better promises than the remnant if we're in the church of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. I, I, I was telling you about what the, the remnant inherits in the land. They, they inherit the land of Judah and Israel, but they inherit some of the surrounding lands around them. We're not looking for real estate in the Middle East God has not promised the church real estate in the Middle East. We have been given promises of heaven. Heaven. It says that in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, we have an inheritance that can never perish, kept in heaven for you. And Jesus said, I go, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. And when I go, I will come again and take you unto myself that where I, I am there, you may be also. Our citizenship is not in Israel. Our citizenship is in heaven. And then it says, uh, they were sealed with an angel for protection. It says that in Revelation chapter 7. Do you know what? The church is not sealed by an angel. The church is sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's somewhat better. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 that you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And do you know what that spiritual seal, that seal of the Holy Spirit guarantees? That you are a child of God. You are a child of God. And as good as it is to be protected by an angel's seal, it's far, far better 
to be protected eternally by the Spirit seal. People in the church have a better promise. And then it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, that to the church is granted every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing that you find in God's word, you can lap up and you can believe in and you can receive as yours because everything spiritual, not physical. Sometimes we get caught on the physical blessings and We like to have health, and we like to have wealth, and we like to have prosperity, and we like to have physical protection. God can give those things, but he doesn't guarantee them in this world. But he guarantees every spiritual promise. And so I can go to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, and it's addressed to the remnant of Israel. And I can say, well, that's a spiritual promise. That's mine. And I can sing that song that I sang. And I can say, you know what? The Lord is in, is in me. The Lord is in the midst of his people and he will rejoice over me with joy and he will save me. He will be tender in his love because you see that spiritual promise is for the church as well because we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, the last thing we learn is this. The remnant is a picture of God's complete faithfulness. You know, Jesus said, nothing that I've written in the word is going to be dropped. Nothing, nothing will ever be deleted from God's word. Nothing will ever be uh, said, well, that, that didn't happen, so God kept, didn't kept, keep his promise. God keeps all his promises. Nothing will ever fail of God's word. And the remnant and that God keeps and conceals some Jews in every age and protects them is a sign for us. God is a promise-keeping God. What he says he will do, he does, and he's going to do it right to the end. Now listen to this verse. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have, has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. You believe that? Well, if God can keep the remnant, I can tell you this. For sure, he's going to keep you and me when we trust in Jesus. He's going to keep us right to the last day. He's going to take us to glory. Yeah, I'm so glad that this idea of the remnant does not apply to me. Because, see, the remnant, although the remnant is protected, if there's a remnant of the church, that, that means that, well, it's sort of like a professor on the first day of college saying, you know, you've come to a very, very difficult uh, uh, course, and uh, 90% of you are going to fail before the end of this course, and only 10% are going to pass. That's the t- statistics, right? I'm so glad that, the, that God doesn't tell the church that 90% are going to fail and a remnant will be saved. I'm so glad. Because knowing Jim Rennie, I'd I'd fail. God doesn't say a remnant of the church is going to be saved. God says, everyone 
who comes to me in faith and puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be saved and I will raise him up on the last day. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Everybody. So just be glad that you're not looking for a remnant. Just be glad that all whom the Father has given me, of all whom the Father has given me, Jesus said, I will lose none of them. Not one lost. All saved. All saved. That's how good Jesus is. And if Jesus can save a remnant in Israel, for sure, for sure, he's going to save you and me when we come and we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you saved? Are you happy you're saved? <laughs> I'm happy. I'm really happy when, when, I, when I think of that. I'm so safe. I am so secure. I am so saved. Not because of my works, but because the Lord made a promise. And you know what? He keeps his promises. May the Lord bless you.